Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Start a new series today, which I'm very excited about, Parables in Matthew, considering the great theme of the Kingdom of Heaven. And today we have the famous parable of the sower. So over to you, Audrey. So as the screen says, I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. Um, So that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So now I'll quickly pray for Mafi as he comes up to preach. So let's pray. Um, Lord, we pray for Mafi. And may you be with him as he speaks to us today. Uh, may you give him your wisdom and your words. And may you grant us the ears to hear all that you're saying to us through Matthew and Scripture. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 I'm conscious that Steve has put down the stand, which is fantastic. Because like Audrey, I am probably the same height as a hurdle as well. <laughs> but unlike Audrey, I am not uh, strong in mind and weak in heart. I'm weak in heart and weak in mind. So if somebody were to tell me, good try or give me a rosette that's saying good try, it would devastate me. So Audrey, if I had a hat on, I would take it off to you. 
Uh, church, if, if, you're, uh, if you're new, if you're visiting, if you're just coming back for a weekend, Ben Levon, it is so good uh, to have you here. Really good to have you here. And my name is Matthew. I serve as the assistant pastor here. And we're going to jump into, straight into a new series on the kingdom of God. And we're going to be looking at this idea of the sower, the seed, and the soils. And today is going to be a test for fruitfulness. So the parable of the soils, or traditionally the sower, is possibly one of the most important parables because it's actually a parable about parables. This is a foundational parable. If you're you're to understand all the other parables that Jesus taught, particularly in Matthew, then first you've got to understand what's going on or or what's been said in this parable. So that's why we're starting here this week. So over the course of the next three or four weeks, we're going to follow on from the parables that follow this. But we need this parable, we need to understand this parable in order to interpret the ones to come. So what is a parable then and how do they work? So a parable is a, is a form of story. Not, nowadays we don't really chat in story, we just send the message. But back in the day when there's no uh, kind of instant communication or any, any of that, people chatted in stories. Nowadays we have books and we write. Back then... It was a story. So a parable is a form of story where something that's familiar to the hearer is used to convey a spiritual truth through the use of objects that are used to illustrate that truth. And so as Jesus spoke in parables here in the, in the book of Matthew, he's going to give insight into what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so today as we jump into the parable of the sower or, or, the, or the soils, we're going to explore these three questions together. What type of soil are we? What makes the good soil good? And then finally, how are we going to respond? How will we respond to the parable? Because ultimately what Jesus is doing in this parable is he's beginning to sift hearts. It's like he's got a sieve and he's shaking it and he's beginning to see what falls through and what remains. Jesus is beginning to sift hearts so that those that are left will be those who will bear much fruit. So Matthew 13 begins with Jesus hopping in a boat, pushing out from shore, and he's got the crowds gathered around him, kind of on the hillside. And I, I, I got to go to that place in Palestine. It was incredible. And the, 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 the echo from down on the shore can be heard the whole way up the hill. It's, it's insane. Jesus pushes out from shore, and he begins to tell the parable. And you know, even though Audrey read up to verse 23, the parable actually stops at verse 9. And Jesus quickly rattles through it and he finishes off and says, whoever has ears, let them hear. And that's how he finishes it. And so as Jesus tells the parable, we can identify that there's three things that we need to know. We've, we've got a sower, who's a farmer. We have got seed, which is sown indiscriminately, goes everywhere. And we've got soil, we've four various types of soil. We've hard soil, rocky soil, thorny, and we've got good soil. And that's all the crowd hears. They hear nothing more. They hear nothing less. That's it. The parable is finished. And so the disciples come up to Jesus and they ask, well, why do you speak to the people in parables? So now we know what the parables are. And we're about to hear why Jesus spoke to them. He said in verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So the the parables actually serve to, to show a division. They serve to sift the hearers, identifying those who are in the kingdom of heaven and those who are not. So the parable draws unwilling listeners into discovering the truth, while at the same time it conceals the truth from those too lazy or too stubborn to actually wrestle with it. So again, we see Jesus is making a stark contrast here between the crowds and between the disciples. And then he goes on to interpret 
the parable for the disciples. Ultimately, to the crowds, the crowds never got that interpretation. Why? Because they didn't want to enter in. So Jesus said to the disciples in verse 19, when anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their heart. So we've got the sower. The sower in the parable is God. The seed in the parable is a message of the kingdom. It is the gospel. And the question then is, what kind of soil does it land on? What kind of soil does it land on? It's a condition of the heart. It's the environment for the seed to grow. Is it going to be an hospitable environment? Uh, the, the type of soil is going to be, it's going to be the test for fruitfulness. It's not the seed. The seed is good seed. The seed is always good seed. But the soil is the variable. So whether the soil has been tilled, whether it's been prepared, whether it's been ready to receive the seed, will actually determine whether it's going to bear fruit or not. So again, the message never changes, but the environment can. So we've got four types of soils that the seed lands on. We see that some lands on the path. And it says that like along the edges of the path, you've got trodden, or along the edges of the field, you've got trodden paths, which is trampled ground. It's hard. It's hard surface. It doesn't receive the seed. So you've got the farmer going, scattering the seed, and it goes absolutely everywhere. He scatters it indiscriminately. So the seed's scattered. The message of the kingdom sits on the surface. And then what happens? It says the birds come along quickly and eat it up. And then in the interpretation, it says the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. So again, you can see the, the first condition that Jesus exposes is a hardened heart. And so with hardness of heart, the seed is planted in such a way that it's, it's super easy for the enemy to come in and snatch it away, to steal it. A hardened heart is, is, the, is a heart that's not actually receptive to the gospel. Maybe that's you. It's a heart that's not receptive to the gospel. As soon as the gospel is preached and the walls just come up and, and you, you, you turn off, you don't want to hear it. The heart that's resistant to making Jesus Lord and Savior, the heart that's resistant to recognizing him as your king in your life. The hardened heart, Paul says, is actually the unbeliever. In Ephesians 4, 17, 18, Paul said to the Ephesian church, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. And what he's saying is you no longer live as the unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. Why? They're darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Do you see why? Because of the hardening of their hearts. And so the message of the kingdom cannot be received. It cannot be received. And it's not because the message was faulty, but it's because of the condition, the environment wasn't willing to receive it. It's because the hearts were hard. And Jesus continues. So, oh, goodness, I have just lost this. There we go. <laughs> We've got the rocky soil next. Some lands in the rocky soil. The seeds that fall in the rocky ground refer to those who have heard the word, they've received it with joy, but it hasn't actually taken root. And so they last only a short time. And yet when trouble and persecution comes, they fall away. The soil is shallow. It's rocky underneath. It looks good from the surface. It looks class from the surface. It looks like my front garden and the home that I grew up in. Needless to say, whenever I stuck a spade in it, it was absolutely not good soil. It was hard as rocky. It looks good from the surface. It looks like it's ready to receive, but yet it's shallow and it does not take root. 
Christ City Church, this is a person who becomes a Christian. Maybe, it's, maybe it was you back in the day. Maybe it's somebody that you know. Somebody becomes a Christian. They begin to follow Jesus. They receive it with joy. There's this incredible celebration. And it's great. And it's kind of like a honeymoon phase. You're in cloud nine. It looks like they're on fire. Everything is great. And a few weeks or a few months and persecution comes their way. What, you're, you're a Christian? Are you serious? You begin to get it in the neck, maybe from family, from friends. Maybe it's society. It's like, oh, wow. Wait, this isn't a popular route. And before long, you find yourself under pressure because of the word. I had a good friend of mine, Keith. Uh, whenever I was, I was 16, I, I remember looking up to him. Here was a guy who just became a Christian as a 16-year-old. I was 18 at the time, or 17 at the time. And think, wow, this guy is absolutely on fire. The zeal for the Lord is incredible. I heard him preach on the streets of Belfast. I heard him preach and give his testimony in the streets in Budapest, or Budapest. He was on fire for Jesus. Uh, after a couple of years, it began to die off. And I remember asking him, what, what's happened? What's gone on? Because I, I could feel the struggles as well in, in life. And I was wondering, what, what, why? You've, you, 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 were, you were preaching the word. You were so on fire. But what, what's happened? And he said, Matthew, it's just it's easier this way. When persecution because of the word came along, it was easier just to go, go the other way. It was easier to say no to Jesus and to say yes to the crowd. His heart was heavy. His heart was sore. He, he knew Jesus. He was, there was little shoots, green shoots that were budding. It was looking good. But he wasn't deeply rooted. That whenever the pressures of the world came in, he began to fall away. And so that was back in 2006. Keith doesn't follow Jesus anymore. He gave his no to Jesus and his yes to the world. He knows the gospel well. It's my prayer. In fact, I'm going to pray right now. Lord, I, I, I pray for Keith. I thank you for him. I thank you that you know him well. You know him better than you, than he knows himself. Lord, I pray you would restore him. You'd restore him back to you. May he be like the good soil that I'm going to get to in a few minutes. Amen. You see, the seed planted in rocky soil was springing up a shit, but the heat of the sun scorched it because it never took root. The rocky soil allowed it to grow up. And this is the danger. The rocky soil allowed it to grow up, but it didn't allow it to be rooted. And that's a very real danger for all of us. And I want to ask, has the message of the kingdom taken root in your heart? These things that actually kind of become part of our personality and our life, that kind of creep in the little rocks that cause us to end up rejecting the gospel. Jesus has been preparing his disciples at this point. He's been sifting them. He's been identifying who is really following him and who's merely the crowd. The crowd liked what they were hearing initially because Jesus was a miracle man. He was a guy from Nazareth. He was a guy on the streets. He was a guy healing people. Everyone was following him. He had a big following and it made sense to follow him, right? They liked what they were hearing. He was a new big thing and they wanted a part of it until it began to cost them. Until it began to cost them, they would feel the pressure from the authorities. They'd feel the pressure from the, 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 the religious sect, from the Pharisees, from the Sadducees. 
If you're following Jesus and you're going to be feeling pressure from, sure, the religious authorities, from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you can maybe get over that, but then you begin to feel, feel the pressure from your own family. The cost is going to be high. And so the people weren't prepared for the hardship that followed, for the denial, for the sacrifice, for the persecution, for the rejection. The crowd couldn't submit their lives to Jesus as Lord because they didn't have deep roots. And so their issue, the, the same issue they dealt with today is no different from the issue we, we deal with, and it's shallow discipleship. Church, I want to tell you that the word of God sifts hearts. It leaves no heart untouched. And, and, and sifting hearts, it actually is doing that today. It's revealing where you are rooted. It's revealing where Mafia is rooted as well. And some land on the thorny soil. There'll be those that receive the good news of the kingdom and better than the rocky soil, it actually takes root and that's incredible. It takes root and it's great. But along with taking root with the seed of the kingdom are the seeds of weeds and the thorns begin to grow up with it. Compromise begins to set in. Eternity is so far off. It's so far off. If only the Lord returned now, it would be grand. But, but I've got all these things growing up alongside. I, I, just, I just can't focus on the kingdom of God. Eternity's too far off. It's just not worth it to me. And so you and I, with our, with our thoughts, with our attitudes, with our appetites, have the capacity to strangle the promise that God has given us. The weeds begin to grow and choke the word of God, causing us to be what? If you've got the Bible in front of you, look, causing us to be unfruitful. And notice what the weeds primarily are. The seed falling on the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the cares of the world, the worries of the life, it's a divided heart. We can experience anxiety, pressures, stress. All these things be begin to grow up alongside this, the fruit of the kingdom of God. And it's all because we've got a divided mind. The problem is that the thorns also take root. They take residence in the heart along with the seed. And the worries of this life are the temporal, the, the material things, the possessions. Perhaps it's even the things that you and I daydream about. Whenever you're not doing very much, what are you daydreaming about? Because I can assure you the very things that you find yourself daydreaming about are probably the very things that have taken root in your heart. Perhaps it's the goals that we set ourselves to achieve levels of comfort and security. And Jesus said elsewhere, what is it, what is a profit a man or a profit a person to gain the whole world but lose their soul? The root problem is that there's a divided heart here. As so most often, the very things that actually divide us are good things, which whenever they are unchecked, then they become the God things. As a, as a pending father in, in three to four months' time, one of the fears is that I'll begin to live out my dreams, my hopes, and my ambitions through my son or my daughter. That I'll actually try to achieve through them. And that they'll become to me absolutely everything, an unobstructed idol. I had a candid conversation with an old pastor of mine recently who said, unlike the evil in the Old Testament where, where there was child sacrifice, we don't do that, but nowadays we actually do child worship. That's a very real problem in the church, I want to tell you. We don't do child sacrifice. We don't put our child on the altar and kill them. Rather, we put our child on the altar and we revere them. They become everything to us. 
Maybe it's money, maybe it's houses, it could be careers, it could be relationships, church, I could go on. But ultimately, whenever we begin to make decisions with these primarily in mind, we attach ourselves to some other non-negotiable that grows alongside our witness for Christ, which causes us to be what? Unfruitful. If the cares of the world that causes us to become unfruitful. Where is it that you're feeling the pinch? What are the cares of your life that are causing you to remain unfruitful? Or maybe it's this next one. I don't like these words very much. It's a deceitfulness of wealth. It's not wealth. That's not the problem. It's a deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness that comes with riches. You know, it's easy for rich people. And when I say rich people, that could be any one of us. It's easy for rich people to think that they have power. But I want to tell you, it's neither riches nor poverty create heart. They simply reveal heart. As how much is too much money? I sat down with somebody this week and asked, how much is too much money? Ultimately, we can't put a figure on it. Whatever amount it is, it causes you not to trust God anymore. Whatever amount replaces trust, and it's a little padding. We get a little bit of padding. I don't need to trust the Lord isn't enough or as much because I've got a little bit of padding here. And the appetite for these things actually fuels the beast that chokes the word of God over our lives. And what happens? Again, a lack of fruitfulness. This is a deceitfulness, a wealth that will overpromise, it'll underdeliver, it'll give false assurances. The deceitfulness of wealth will build a fragile identity. And, and whenever it does that, that identity needs to be maintained. It needs maintained, and it's maintained and it's fed by accumulation. But the result is the exact same church. Look at them, last three words, making it unfruitful. There's a lack of fruitfulness. And this is a challenge over the Western church. It's compromise with money. Apparently, there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that's got a reference to money. And around 40% of Jesus' parables are to do with money and possessions. You cannot serve God in money. And you know, it's not that, it's not that these people who, who are, the, uh, are the thorny soil aren't seeking the kingdom of God. I'm not saying they're not. It's not that they're not seeking the kingdom of God, but there's a duplicity going on. There's something else that's grown up with it, and we do not see the fruit as a result. And finally, we've got the good soil. This is the one that we like to hope that we're all in. And as I reflect and as I read this, I find myself more and more in the thorny soil. And so finally, some lands in the good soil. Good news. Jesus portrays his listeners as one of these four soils, but only one of these is actually desirable. And he says in 23, but the seed falling in good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding what? 160 or 30 times what was sown. The good soil produces good crop. The good soil is the right conditions for the seed to germinate, for the crop to grow, for the fruit to be born. This is the desirable heart. This is who we really want to be. I want to be good soil. I want you to be good soil. Good soil bears good fruit. And you know what? Some people are going to bear more fruit than others. 160, 30 times amount. Church, we, we're going to need to get over ourselves. If Matthew bears soil at two times and then somebody else at 100 times, praise God. Why? Because there's fruit being born. Different levels, different amounts, but the seed has germinated in the right conditions. 
And so when the hearers heard the parable, they would have picked up on a little phrase at the end, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The idea of, the idea of yielding this crop 100-fold would have been familiar to them. It mightn't be familiar to us, but it's familiar to them. They remember back to Genesis. Genesis 26, verse 12, it says, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped, what, a hundredfold. Why? Because the Lord blessed him. Christ of the church, God is looking for good soil to deposit the message of the kingdom that he might bless it mightily. If you have a Bible with you, look back at Matthew 13, 12. It says, whoever has will be given more and what they have in a, and, and they will have an abundance. So whoever has will be given even more and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Church, the more you exercise a muscle, the stronger, the sharper and the fitter it'll become. The less you exercise that muscle, the weaker, the flimsier and the flabbier it will be. And that very same principle applies. By hearing and by obeying the word, fruit will be produced. And as it is produced, it will multiply. And so how you and I hear and respond to the parable will ultimately shape what we do with the parable. And even more than that will result in either fruit-bearing or no fruit-bearing. We cannot escape it. No one is exempt. There's either going to be fruit-born in your life or else there's going to be no fruit-born in your life. So the test for fruitfulness doesn't actually lie in the seed, but lies in the condition of the heart that receives it. Church, if you remember nothing else, remember that today. That's the crux of the parable. The condition of the heart will determine whether one is going to understand and receive the message of the kingdom. This is going to be the bottom line over the next three to four weeks. And I want to ask you, what is on the seat of your heart today, church? Because whatever that happens to be is either going to be the catalyst for a life of fruitfulness for Christ or else it's going to be a catalyst of compromise. And so we get to these three questions. What type of soil am I? What type of soil do you find yourself to be? What's the condition of your heart toward the message today? At some point we were all a hard soil, rejecting and resisting the message of the kingdom. I remember that well in my own life refusing to come under the rule and reign of Jesus. But yet for many of us, we've received him now, and that's incredible. And some of you will have not received him yet, and you're continuing to resist him. Maybe you're a shallow soil. You've received Jesus with joy initially, but the, the gospel has actually never taken root in your heart. And you're tempted to tail off. You're maybe even thinking about it right now. You know what, I, I'm only here just because it's a nice community. I'm not actually here for Jesus. Maybe you're tempted to tail off. Maybe you're, you're feeling the pressure now when the heat of persecution comes. You've moved to the city, big bad city. You've felt the persecution that you, maybe you never felt before you moved. Perhaps you're the thorny soil and the weeds in your life are beginning to crowd out the fruit, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth. These things are vying for your attention, vying for your affections, and they just seem to be too much. You can't see past the weeds. And maybe you're the good soil. Maybe you're bearing fruit and you're producing a crop that is multiplying. The second question, what makes the good soil good? This haunted me. This really nodded me as I prepped this. What makes the good soil good? How is it good? Why is it good? I tell you this, it's good because of what it doesn't have. It's not hard. 
The soil has been worked at, it's been ploughed, it's been tilled. It's not shallow. It's good soil because it's got deep roots. It's allowed the word of God to get deep beyond the surface, hitting the deepest desires, the deepest longings of my heart. It's also undivided. It got weeded out. It got worked on, it got weeded out. The soil is determined to make the kingdom of God the focus of their lives. Those who are this soil are tired of following after the things of the world that they've let them go. This soil has become a hospitable environment in order to bear fruit. And here's the kicker for us. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do? Who are we going to become? The longing of God's heart has always been for this message to be received with ready hearts. And so how are we going to respond? We're going to respond like the crowd. We're, we're, we're interested, but we're really not that interested. Jesus will follow you to a point, but whenever the going gets tough, we're going to back off. We're going to follow like the disciples who drew closer, who asked questions, who grappled with the really tough stuff that actually exposed their hearts. Remember, the point of the parable is to sift and it's to separate those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. The parable merely exposes the condition of the heart. I want to tell you, church, that God is still absolutely in the business of transforming hearts, making hard soil good soil, rooting out the rocks, rooting out the thorns, making it good soil. And I want to tell you this, if God can take a Peter who was a mouthpiece, who literally had his foot in his mouth at so many opportunities, who was a fool and who was the person that spoke first and ended up making the first mistake, a bit like me, if God can take, if Jesus can take a Peter and transform him into somebody after Pentecost who stood up, preached a sermon, and thought, saw 3,000 people come to faith, then I'll tell you this, God can absolutely make good soil out of any hard, rocky, or thorny soil. Amen? If God can do it with a Peter, he can do it with you and I. Peter was the one who said, Jesus, you know what, I'll die for you. I'll, I'll, I'll die for you. I'll be, I'll, I'll be killed for you. And Jesus said, and thinking, flip me, Peter, no way. You're the one that's going to go and actually uh, deny me three times in a very short space of time. And Peter did deny him. And Jesus said in this very moment to him, whenever you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter was going to turn back. And I tell you this, Jesus knows the condition of your hearts. He knows exactly where you're at. And I want to tell you, Jesus can make hard soil good soil. Jesus is the one who can till the ground, who can sift out the weeds, who can go, th go through the fields. Jesus is the one who does the heavy work of the kingdom, who lifts out the rocks, who makes us hospitable ground, that the kingdom of God may be planted in us, that it may flourish and it may bear much fruit. Can I just invite the worship team back up, please? You know, what's really tough about this message is that 25% of the hearers in, the, in, in this parable don't even listen. It doesn't even go anywhere. It literally hits their ears and it leaves. 25% are interested and they fall away. 25% believe, but they actually remain unfruitful. And only 25% become fruitful. At university, 40% was a pass mark. I'm looking here at 25% who become fruitful. It is my prayer that Christ City Church would have a fruitfulness way beyond 
But in order for fruitfulness to come about, God has to do a deep work in our hearts. Churches, we seek to reach our colleagues, reach our families and our peers and our communities for Jesus. We need to be doing what the sower did, and that's simply scattering seed indiscriminately wherever it would go, and we leave the rest up to God. Whether it takes root, we want to be there. If it doesn't take root, we'll still, we'll still scatter seed. We'll trust Jesus to do the work of softening the heart, preparing the soil, tilling it, that whenever that seed is scattered and it does take root, we will be there to nourish that. We'll be there to care for it. And we will be there to help see this fruit be born. Will you stand with me? As we follow Jesus together as a church family, may we commit to investing in one another, preparing the ground in one another, that we all may continually be good soil to receive the kingdom of God in every area of our lives that it may bear fruit. Will you close your eyes with me? Jesus, I thank you that you expose hearts, that you know where every single heart is. And I pray that you would be preparing soil You'd be preparing us. May you soften the hard ground right now. May there be somebody that is going to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior for the first time today. Jesus, I pray that you would be going through that field and you would remove the rocks from that rocky field. You may be making that deep, deep soil. And that, Jesus, you may come and you may take out the weeds in, in the thorny soil. Jesus, come do a deep work in us that only you can do. In your name, amen.